Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 75. I would tend to argue that we saw a government intervention which was akin to belts and braces. My name is Depesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Today, we're recording this podcast from Xcredit International in London as proud media partners of the conference. The current geopolitical landscape for global trade and investments is changing, with geopolitical tensions, increasing protectionism, and still large uncertainties around vaccine distribution and recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been less than a week since the closing of COP26 in Glasgow, and climate is on the agenda of many organizations. But what does this mean for trade credit insurance insurities? We're kicking off today's conference with a conversation with Richard Wolf, Executive Director of ICESA, the International Credit Insurity Association. Richard, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you, Depeche. Thank you so much for having me. Quick introduction. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? I'm Richard Wolf. Thank you for the kind introduction. I lead ICESA, the International Credit Insurance and Surety Association, which is the leading association for private credit insurers, sureties, and their reinsurers. And what we do is basically three things. We advocate on behalf of our members. We talk to the press, and not for its own sake, but to make our product better known in this world, which is highly necessary. And we get together with our members to spread this practice. That takes us basically 52 weeks a year. Thanks, Richard, and and very good overview of ICESA. So can you talk about some of the market trends that you've been seeing in the past 12 to 18 months? And has appetite changed due to the pandemic? That is the best question there is. So what we are looking at is exactly this question. Has appetite changed? And the answer is, it's a U-shape. When the pandemic struck in the beginning of 2020, people didn't know what to expect. And the natural reaction of corporates and insurers in general is to see how they can limit the risk, how they can limit their exposure to such a big event like a pandemic. Now, With the progression of the COVID pandemic, what we saw is capacity shrinking probably up to July, August of 2020. People getting used to the idea and seeing more clearly what the pandemic had as repercussion for the business. And what we see today, and I'm talking figures at the end of September 2021, is that capacity is larger than it was at the end of 2019. So yes, it did have an impact, impact has largely been negated. Thanks, Richard, and very good description using that kind of U-shaped analogy. So, Richard, what's the importance of understanding your insurance as a loss payee? When I hear that, I think of myself buying a car. And I think, what does the car do? Does it go fast? Does it go far? Does it protect me when things go wrong? And for a loss payee to to an insurance policy, it's exactly the same. The loss payee wants to know what the policy protects them against, which conditions there are for under that policy to actually get indemnification. And that's what you buy the policy for, right? The loss payee, I would expect, would go deep inside the policy, would get people who explain the policy to them. For instance, brokers, 
They play a very important role in this and say, okay, I am the lost payee of this insurance policy. This is exactly what it does. So when the unexpected and the unwanted for happens, if there is a loss, nobody has a surprise. Everyone knows exactly how the policy will behave, when the money will hit the bank accounts of the lost payee. And that's just about the minimum people need to understand. What we have seen less so in the bread and butter of turnover business than in supply chain business where there are more parties to the transaction is that the loss payee did not know exactly what to expect. That's not good because that gives the product a bad name. The product is sound, it's good, but it needs to be understood. Just like I got my driver's license and just like I know how to drive a car. There are different policies. There are different attributes to that policy. If I want something really fast, I might get myself a fancy red sports car, Italian maybe. If I want to be 100% safe, I will buy myself a tank. But no matter what I buy, I always know in advance, does it go fast? Does it go far? Does it protect me for the worst? And that's what I would expect a lost payee to understand before he accepts to be a lost payee. Thanks very much. And we often talk about KYP, know your policies are there finance global. So of course, I guess on a similar note, pandemics caused uh, quite a surge in default rates due to those high levels of uncertainty in all of the markets. How at a high level can trade credit insurance help mitigate default risks? My first reaction is that's what trade credit is there for. It does mitigate default risk. Now to go back, I'm not sure the pandemic has really caused a surge in default rates. What we have seen throughout the pandemic, especially in economies where the government intervened quite heavily in the real economy, I'm not even talking about credit insurance, is that those default rates were extremely low. Nobody had expected this, but with things like furlough schemes, with credit guarantee by the government, and so on and so so forth, those default rates were not very high, even though there were companies that did go into insolvency. The credit insurance policies did what they were supposed to do. They reacted to it. They paid out when the risk no longer could pay its bills. And that's exactly the promise that the credit insurer sold to the policyholder straight at the beginning. How can trade credit insurance help to mitigate default risks? Quite simply, if your buyer doesn't pay and your buyer is insured with one of my members, my members pay out. Thanks for that. And absolutely, we saw unprecedented fiscal stimulus and and support from governments all around the world, which was absolutely crucial in, in stabilizing global economies. But obviously now that government support is being slowly reduced, right? What impact do you think this is likely to have on market participants? I would tend to argue that we saw a government intervention which was akin to belts and braces. So on the one hand, there were these stimulus measures for what I would call the real economy, so the furlough schemes and the credit guarantee that we talked about, subsidies of all kinds of sorts. And on the other hand, there were state support schemes for credit insurance. Those state support schemes were aimed at those credit insurers to pass on to their policyholders. What governments basically said is we will provide you with a blanket reinsurance over your book so you don't get hit all too hard. But for that, we want you to keep your cover upright. You will not as is customary in trade credit insurance, adjust your credit limits to a different risk environment. We want you to keep your cover upright. With that, we want to keep the supply chain in our economies going. And that worked. When the schemes were put together early in the pandemic, I cannot talk highly enough of how that was done. 
governments acted pretty much coordinated. They acted fast. And what they did with all those measures is they really did stabilize the economy. And it was more an expectation thing than anything else. So that insecurity, how is the economy going to perform? How will that hit me? How will that hit my finances? That was taken away by those governments. If you look back until about the summer of 2020, so that would be July, August, this indeed did stabilize the economy. And in August, September, what you saw is that people became much more optimistic. The picture was much more clear. People knew what to expect. There were no big supply chain disruptions in a financial sense. And I'm not talking about what is happening now in ports all around the world. It's purely a financial sense. I would tend to argue that that intervention on the trade credit insurance side should have been a little bit shorter and much more targeted because it stimulated the economy as a whole. And that would include sectors as diverse as hospitality and travel, which really did need the stimulus, to web shops, which probably did not. So when we evaluate those schemes with officials that we talk to, for instance, at the European Commission or at AOPA, the European regulator, what we tend to say is next time this comes around, and it will, next time this comes around, make your assessments period shorter and see whether you can target your measures a little bit more precise towards the economy. Now, what impact will this have on market participants? I would tend to argue it already has. And again, I come back to the capacity which is being brought by my members to the market at the moment. It is not by coincidence that the capacity now surpasses the capacity for December 2019. The outlook is much rosier. The outlook is much more clear. And that was the impact on market participants. That's a very comprehensive evaluation of some of the interventions governments to stabilize the economy and also what market participants can learn moving forward. And I guess we've discussed quite a few interesting things here, such as that U-shaped pattern around capacity. How fancy is the car that you're choosing and, and what do you know about the car you're choosing? Knowing and understanding your policy and also that belt and brace piece. So I guess final question, and you joined IC at the beginning of the year and congratulations. What are your priorities as new executive director of the association? And also, what are you most excited about looking forward in 2022? It is a pretty cool job. And the reason it's a cool job, because we can really make a difference. We can make a difference on the regulatory side of our business. We can make a difference in spreading best practices. What are my priorities? My priorities are basically described in the statutes of ICESA. What I said before, it is advocacy, it is public relations work, and it is spreading of best practice. But the way in which this is filled in the color we give to it, that's the exciting part. One of the things that we're doing for 2022 is to gather data about our market and adjourning markets. What does that mean? What I hear is on a very simple level that people argue how big is the trade credit insurance market? And some people say eh, it's about 8 billion and the others say it's about 11 and you'd get a third person who sticks his finger up in the air and said, nah, I tend to lean towards 15 billion. We are on a big data gathering exercise and that's not a goal in its own right. 
The reason why we're doing this, and it's not only premium volume, it is losses, it is volatility, it is how important trade credit insurance is to the world economy. The reason for that is when we spread our word that trade credit insurance is actually an important and pretty cool product, that everyone listens, nods, and says, uh huh. The moment that we put statistics, figures on the table, on screen, people tend to pay attention. And that would go for an interested third party, but much more so for regulators. And to give you a simple example, we were talking to a part of the European Commission. They said, well, sorry, we don't know your product very well. Could you explain it a bit? Because we heard it's quite dangerous and it's really volatile. So we put a statistic on screen, which showed the volatility in losses, loss ratio, loss volume over the past, let me think, 16 years. It's basically two economic sites. And they said, wow, you've got a peak in 2008, 2009. Yes, fancy that. That was the global financial crisis. But for the rest, it is very, very stable. We said, exactly. So when you go back and you regulate our class of business and you mandate all this use of capital for this line of business, this is something you need to know. You need to watch that volatility. If you don't and you take the safe option and you pile capital into these companies, the product will be increasingly expensive. And that does not serve your purpose for making the economy in a zone in a like the EU or in a country more stable. We stabilize economies and we can only do that if our members can work well. So putting those statistics on the table, set them thinking, and I hope there is going to be some movement in this respect, but there is much more to be said to be advocated for, and not just for our members, but especially for the buyers of the products, be it corporates, be it SMEs, or be it financial institutions. So in order to keep the product flourishing and affordable, we need data, and that's what we're gathering. The other thing I'm really excited about is what we're doing on the tech side. This is partly ICISA as an organization, it's partly our members, but what we see happening in digitization space is very, very exciting. And to give you one simple example, and let's talk about surety for a change. The International Chamber of Commerce has the Digital Standards Initiative. And that initiative is to make cross-border trade a lot easier. So how do you do that? You digitize a large number of your products so that you don't actually have to get a courier to run a bill of lading over to some counter. And the same goes, for instance, for custom bonds. Now, if you can digitize this, if you can put this, for instance, on the blockchain, you speed up international trade to a large extent. The efficiency gains that the ICC put on this topped $8 trillion for the world. I'm very excited to be working with these people, and I'm very excited to get our industry on par with the most progressive ones to digitize our products for the good and for the efficiency of world trade. Thanks, Richard, for the extreme comprehensive overview. And we fully support the work of the ICC DSI. I think it's really good to hear your conclusions and that priority around both data and tech. And and it really is absolutely critical to have good quality data coming into the system, which is critical for that decision-making piece, because obviously mandating the use of of capital under bar regulations really does have an impact. And we all understand the importance of the trade credit insurance industry, which does very much underpin global trade and trade finance. So Richard, 
It's been an absolute pleasure having you and hearing you at XCred International this week. Thank you very much for your time and for joining me on Trade Finance Talks. See you soon. Thank you, Dipesh. It was a pleasure. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.